0: G'day legends, welcome to the Cohort cast episode 32. Been a long time Uh, Been at work, doing a bit, had a couple injuries going through Uh, myself and my wife, so just been trying to rehab. Just waiting to find something interesting to talk about. Uh, Got my good mate Sam Kennedy from up at the Newcastle Knights, uh, junior pathways performance coach, sitting down with us today for a podcast, about an hour and 20 minutes, Uh, really enjoyable. We've worked together for the last season, or the, yeah, last season at the Newcastle Knights for juniors. He was my boss um, when I was at the SG ball as the head SNC, and and we also have lifted together uh, for multiple competitions, nationals for weightlifting. Uh, really smart guy, spent some time under some great coaches, very, very talented, much more talented than myself. Um, wore the green and gold a couple of times. He's going to take us through his journey uh, and just talk, shop. We generally catch up. And chat for a couple of hours uh, every couple of months, so we just thought we'd put one down on a on a loop tracker and let you guys have a listen. So sit back and enjoy episode thirty-two, brought to you by Next Gen Nutrition, Erina of the Cohort Cast. Thanks, legends.
1: Pump it up! I've
0: had a fair few of these.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you bring the energy, mate. <laughs>
0: I gave one a Stary. when we did the podcast, gave him a C4, and by the end of the podcast, he's holding the mic in his hand and still just doing this. <laughs> First time he's ever had a pre-workout. Yeah, fuck.
1: I haven't had a pre-workout in that long.
0: Mate, you can't take anything. The amount of times you get tested, it's unbelievable. All right, guys, welcome uh, Sam Kennedy to the podcast. Um, we're going to go through a bit of, bit of everything today, a bit of shit talk. I normally have uh, a pretty good little... Dialogue set up, but I'm gonna I'm gonna free I'm gonna free ball this one with my mate old Keno here because uh, generally how it works is we ring each other and talk for two hours about rubbish, and I thought it'd be cool to capture some of this on the podcast and maybe people as stupid as us want to have a listen to it and see what happens.
1: <laughs> Good way to waste <my> two hours,
0: <laughs> mate. Um, I wanted to start a bit differently with yourself. I wanted to get into the into the meat of the stories and get us rolling with some. Some fire. So I thought I'd ask you, uh, what you'd consider your greatest athletic moment to be, personally.
1: Um, probably um, if I go back to 2017, talking more about weightlifting, um, like from more from a personal perspective, um, was probably something similar to what you're going through at the moment, mate, with your wrist. Um, I had a, an avulsion fracture in um, my wrist, um, sprained a couple of ligaments and things like that, but it was, I think it was approximately like eight weeks out from, um, my second like international competition. And it was basically like a rehearsal for the Commonwealth Games in 2018. So it was the Commonwealth Champs in 2017. I got, um, got jammed up in a clean. I was trying to hang clean 170. <laughs> and it was a bit slow on the way through and basically went to bail out but was obviously too slow to do that and the elbow caught um, my knee and then jammed my wrist up and got a little break there in the in the trapezium bone. Um, similar to you mate. And yeah, so. um, it was just like a bit of a a bit of a weird one in terms of just the uncertainty around preparation leading into the comp. I sort of thought that I was probably gonna have to pull out. Um, and then uh, sort of trained around it as best as I could, doing squats and um, heavy pulls and things like that, and as I was saying to you yesterday, mate, like I was, I could snatch to, you know, bar to maybe 40 kilos at most up until two weeks out and uh, ended up getting a cortisone injection in the wrist just to see if that made much of a difference, and then um, I probably wasn't on comp day obviously wasn't at my best, but for me that was probably like a big achievement personally just to be able to sort of get to the point where i could get on the platform and then also you know hit reasonable lifts at the time which was i think i hit a 139 snatch and um, like a 168 clean and jerk with basically two weeks of prep going overhead which is an ideal in an overhead sport <laughs> so um it's probably not the the best answer in terms of like accomplishments but i was probably just more proud of myself that i could. Um, you know, I proved to myself that I could sort of um, push through that a little bit And then also, um, you know, on comp day, I guess, sort of still come through with the goods To some extent, obviously, didn't place that well in the international But um sort of proved to myself that I could, you know, um, you know get to that level And then also sort of mix it And, yeah, I think I just surprised myself, to be honest
0: Yeah, I checked through your – I was I was going through some of your old stories yesterday going down the rabbit hole of, of the gram and trying to figure out some of the time the timeline of that. Um, yeah. And I think it's it's so good, you know, for us, obviously both working in sport, having those types of injuries happens to be an identical injury, but, you know, whether it's hurting your back or doing your knee, ACL, and then working with these guys... You know, you see these guys come back and, and obviously working in football, you see guys like Tedesco at the form that they're in with, you know, multiple knee recos and, and, and repairs, I should say. And it gives you such a sens- sense of uh, appreciation, empathy for those guys because they come back. And like you said, sometimes it's not necessarily the result, but mixing it at that top end after you've had something major like mm. that, um, it really does change your perspective on, on what is an
2: accomplishment.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's just that, for me, it was the mindset around it, like just all the uncertainty and, um, you know, sort of that, that that head game, I guess, to an extent, like sort of not knowing whether your body was going to be able to stand up to the, the I guess, the performance that you need to, to put it through or, um, you know, to test yourself sort of so mentally and physically at the same time, I suppose. How old were you in 2017?
0: Yeah, I would have been 26,
1: 27, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. when did you start weightlifting mate how did this how did this begin uh so
1: started weightlifting like officially competing in 2016 um but was obviously lifting weights for a fair while before that and it wasn't really until uh, i guess the catalyst for me to sort of compete was
2: um
1: my wife sort of felt pregnant and i thought well i'm not going to do it now like i'm not going to have a crack now like probably going to be, you know, running out of time potentially later on, like, once the bub comes along and I just thought, well, I've just, you know, now is probably the perfect opportunity to, to have a crack and see what I can actually do, um, so I sort of, yeah, jumped down that rabbit hole and, um, yeah, so i sort of, I've been competing for, what's that? say, four years, I suppose, on and off, just with different things with work and, and family and, you know, there's obviously a lot of things that get in the way. Um, When you work full time Professional sport In terms of competing on weekends And going away on training camps And stuff like that It's not obviously ideal And it doesn't obviously work out Work out all the time So um, I haven't done like a lot of competitions Compared to probably a lot of Other more established weightlifters But um, I've Probably Cherry picked the ones That have been important Or um, Non-negotiables To get to You know Nationals or States or international comps And things like that So Mm. Do you it's a pretty
0: unusual sport, though. Is what is kind of what I'm what I'm asking is like, how do you how do you find yourself? There's plenty of people who can clean and snatch. I mean, CrossFit's exposed a, a shit ton of people to these two lifts, but you know, yeah. from, from experience, it's pretty hard to to end up at a nationals or, or yourself around the green and gold a couple of times. It's pretty hard to get to that stage. Um, I was just kind of wondering where that you know sort of power output comes from. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I always played sport, so I guess going back to my early days, I was always probably gifted um, athletically in terms of I was always a fast kid, Um, so I was always sort of good at track and field and, um, you know, I enjoyed that because I was probably good at it, I guess, naturally when I was younger and then as I got a little bit older, I probably um, Lent more into the team sports Because that was probably more an environment that I wanted to be in and around Like with mates playing footy at school And uh, a club and things like that um, Just always found that a lot of those individual sports They tend to be a little bit more catered to the egotistical person And it's a bit more Everything's about you, you, you all the time Whereas the, the team sport athlete Is probably a little bit more Centered around a, a higher goal And you know, a team working towards something Rather than just always being you know, on the individual and, um, you know, that's obviously there's fours and against for that as well. But, um, yeah, so I guess I was always fast as a kid, played footy growing up, did okay at that, but um, had a few injuries along the way. Um, And then it wasn't until I think it was 20... 2011 maybe I started Looking into a bit Of the CrossFit Side of things And sort of Found that pretty Refreshing in terms Of like a personal Training um, Journey Like I sort of Looked at it And watched a lot Of the docos You know What was it Like um, Graham Holmberg And Rich Froning What was that one I was like 2010, 2011 Something like that That was probably Like the first thing That I sort of Saw of CrossFit And I was like This is pretty This is pretty cool Yeah Um, And you sort of Get exposed movements and stuff that probably aren't as um, common to be seeing in just a regular Globo gym or, you know, 24-7 fitness sort of facility, things like thrusters and muscle-ups and um, even like Olympic lifting to an extent, like I was still only young at that stage and hadn't really seen a lot of it. So I guess it's sort of, for me, it was like sort of broke up the monotony a little bit of some of the conventional things that you'd see in normal gyms and um, me sort of had an injury at the time, had my first shoulder reconstruction around that sort of time when I started looking at CrossFit and I was like, well, this is really cool. Um, you know, give it a go, try something different. Um, so I guess uh, I started doing a little bit more of that CrossFit side of things in 2011 when um, I sort of was rehabbing my shoulder and um, I guess I sort of tried out a few different things there. Um, but yeah, it was probably 2011. CrossFit was, yeah, like it was a big sort of thing at the time. It was, you know, it was growing at like an exponential rate, I guess, at that time. And there was a lot of people getting interested in it and uh, sort of lit the fire for me. I was, I was hooked. Um, but it wasn't really my go in a sense, like work capacity probably wasn't what I was um, good at. I was good at the, the strength-power movement. So preach,
0: brother. I, I, yeah,
1: yeah. So I think I started doing like a linear progression sort of style, um, following more of that CrossFit football methodology, which yeah. was, a, I guess, strength-biased CrossFit workouts, I guess, if you had to explain it John in simple terms. So it was, you know, somewhat periodised in a way that it was like a linear progression on your main sort of barbell lifts um, and then like a short sort of Metcon, I guess you'd say, like just more sort of shorter, sharper and heavier sort of um, workouts, which was stuff that I was naturally... Good at so I sort of, you know, probably went down that that way a little bit more. And then the older I got, obviously, the more I uh, sort of biased towards more weightlifting movements. And I guess the, um, the conditioning pieces sort of fell away a little bit more, and I became a little bit more of a, a specialist or a purist, I suppose, in, in the weightlifting stuff. So and, did, and then obviously did, did along the way, me? it was always. Sorry. Man.
0: Sorry. Did anyone tell you like to compete? Because obviously, like you know, guys like myself, if I see someone who can move a barbell, you know, efficiently and quite well, and then all of a sudden they're moving pretty decent numbers. I mean, how do you go from being in the CrossFit gym to standing on a platform for the first time in a onesie? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, like I wasn't. I mean, there's still I've still got old videos on my computer of me trying power cleans and snatching and overhead squatting for the first time, and it wasn't like it sort of happened overnight for me like it was a process so um i mean i was i was strong at the movements but i wasn't technically good at them so i think like the first time i tried snatching i snatched yeah I snatched like 75 kilos and it was rank like it was Dog shit. soft elbows press out but um Full i guess that's probably now. like <laughs> that's probably like a i guess that's probably like a you know, I probably had a higher ceiling, I guess, on that kind of stuff compared to the, the regular gym-goer. So um, it's like anything, if you're good at it, you're going to pursue it a little bit more. So, um, yeah, like it was, it was a process, mate. So it was – strength was probably there, like my squats and um, all those main strength movements were pretty good, but it was probably more technical refinement for me. So it was probably a process over four or five years. Um, until I was sort of confident that I could move relatively well, um, and as I said before, it wasn't really until 2016 when I sort of thought, well, now sort of now or never in terms of if I'm going to compete. So um, I had Marty Harlow from Trial Gym. He uh, came into the Roosters a couple of times um, to do like some sort of some guest appearance, sort of lifting sessions. He brought Kiana in with him, and um, it was sort of like just one-off sessions to uh, almost sort of fire up the boys and get them buying into the process of some of the lifts that we were doing at the Chooks at the time. Um, and, you know, you know like I so said, Marty and obviously Keigs at the time and um, Trav and a few of the other guys at the Chooks were sort of saying, like, you know, you probably should look at having a lift or competing and just seeing how you go. Um, but, I'm probably a little bit more introverted and it wasn't really my sort of, sort of thing to do and as I sort of said earlier like I sort of was more um, you know, I sort of liked the team sport aspect a lot more than the individuals. so I was probably a bit shy around it all and it wasn't really until I sort of had a few more other factors that contributed to me sort of wanting to compete that I actually did the toe in the water um, and yeah I think it was the yeah, start of 2016 I did a comp with Marty at uh, his gym in Monervale um, went okay and then from there Qualified for for nationals and, and that was sort of I guess that was it. Like that was sort of the start of the journey. He's
0: you still he's still competing currently, mate. You're still looking to do some some damage in there. Or are you, what's the deal?
1: Um, I, ha- I haven't been, mate. Like uh, the last comp I did was 2019 um, nationals. Where I, f- I got second there, and then the plan after that was to go to. Uh, no, last year to compete over there for the Australian team with the comp champs, but obviously with all the COVID stuff that happened, it got cancelled. Um, and then, I guess like just like I said before, mate, like in terms of trying to organise to do competitions in and around work, and you know, that it becomes a little bit challenging. Um, but I think there's still probably some comps later on down the track that I'd like to do, but probably nothing in the short term. Um,
0: so, Are you still getting better? Are the lifts still going up?
1: Um, I mean, they were. They were up and I think that 2019 competition was probably my best. It was my best total that I hit. Um, but, I mean, without that sort of certainty of a deadline in terms of this is the competition that I've got coming up, like I'm probably not going as hard as what I would have previously. Um, just, you know, getting a little bit older and the body starts to hurt in different ways. Once you start specialising in, basically two different lifts um the load on joints and things like that become a little bit um you know wears thin at times so i'm probably just just trying to keep generally fit and strong at the moment um working in around family time and work and all that kind of thing so there's a lot of distractions at the moment but i'm still still lifting mate but as i said there's nothing sort of on the radar at the moment in terms of competition so so still getting drug tested though so
0: <laughs> I was going to ask if you're, uh, if you're still getting tested regularly mate yeah. you've got to be the most, I think test, I've been, most tested I think in New South Wales
1: <laughs> I think I've been tested four times since that last competition I've done so <laughs> even mate even during even during COVID and everything like i turn up with face masks on of all the hours of the night like I'd get oh there was one instance I got home at. Eight, no, I got home you know around 8 o'clock at night and was in the shower and, um, and the wife was trying to put the kids to the bed, and you know there's a knock on the door and um, dogs are going you know, wild. It, it, it turned up like it, it's part and parcel of, of you know competing and that I suppose, but it's definitely invasive at times going through all those hoops, um, procedures, and you know people coming into your house at weird hours of the night and morning, and you know staring at you while you're going to the toilet and. <laughs> pulling blood out of your arm, so <laughs> Mate, it's not you,
0: ideal. you got to just finish fourth at every comp like I do. You, you only get tested, I've been tested two two times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs>
1: yeah. I, think, I think with me, it's probably because I'm not competing that often. They probably think that I'm <laughs> off doing cycles or something. I don't
0: know. Yeah, I got done in, uh, in Tassie at the Nationals down there. That was my first ever one. Real, like, just, like, P-test in front of them. That scared the shit out of me, first one nothing ones mm. since then but yeah
1: Mate, you get stage fright like it's oh, no. you've got an old bloke looking over your shoulder like <laughs> it's a pretty sort of foreign situation yeah. it's and pe- you know they're, they're waiting for you to piss and all you're thinking about is trying to piss so you can't piss <laughs> so it's, it's a weird one
0: yeah so um, t- t- tucking into some of that work stuff you sort of mentioned you know obviously spending some time at the roosters and having Keanu and Marty come in there. What's your current role for those listening, mate? Like, what's your current duty um, with the Knights and and what are you doing currently?
1: Yeah, so end of 2018, um, the Roosters NRL team, that was, I think, the first grand final win they'd had of the two. Um, So I got a role up in Newcastle um, as the Elite Pathways Physical Performance Manager. So um, I took that on end of 2018, Been here since then, Um, I guess what that role is, is um, the Knights obviously have a big nursery of um, rugby league players, um, big sort of, big area that they can draw on from all the juniors. So, um, I guess to narrow it down, simply like my role is to sort of oversee all the physical um, performance elements that go into the elite pathway system here at the Knights. So, um, you know, all the strength and conditioning stuff and any anything related to performance kind of falls on my shoulders and I oversee all that. I've um, obviously got staff, that, junior staff that I have working with me day to day because I can't obviously service all those teams by myself. So I guess I'm sort of the boss of, of those junior coaches and um, yeah, part of my role is to help mentor them and um, help them deliver the best programs that we can for those young footy players coming through and um, hopefully get them... To, the, to that next level which would be you know NRL and then also you know not just get them there but help them thrive and then also get them to you know play 50 or 100 games for the Knights in the future so a lot of the stuff that we do uh, currently you know we won't sort of see results from it potentially until you know, three or four years down the track when those guys come through the, the grades and progress through the, through the system and um, hopefully you know get more through to play NRL than the Knights so
0: many um, under that in that nursery under that umbrella of kids and all those different teams how many how many boys would you say and girls are under that umbrella that you have to sort of oversee if you had to put all the teams together and
1: it's, it's changed a little bit so last year we would have had I guess, I think there was like eight sort of development programs that we had running um, prior to COVID we sort of condensed that down a little bit but um, this year, we've we've had, like, an under-17s boys, an under-19s boys, and under-19s girls. Um, we don't have a Jersey flag or an under-20s or 21s team this year. Um, we've got a reserve-grade team, so... Um, and as well as some sort of junior development squads that we've got started now. So we've got some sort of 14-, 15-year-old kids and regional academies and things like that. But, um, yeah, sort of anywhere from, I guess, 150 to 200 sort of athletes... Um, I guess you'd say uh, under my umbrella, and obviously there's you know you see the older ones and probably the more uh, mature guys a little bit more frequently than some of the younger guys, but yeah, that's probably the, the number that we're, we're looking at there. Do you
0: do you feel the significance of that role? I mean, in S and C, in all the podcasts, in all the all the all the papers, all the write ups, it's all about junior development. Do you feel that um, you know? Necessity to, to get that right and to to knuckle down in that in that space because it is essentially the future of the sport and 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 I guess you know it's changed so much and now people do value that that role that you're in specifically and and the the, the nourishing of that talent is is essentially the the new focus for all sports um, especially in Australia. Um, do you feel that role? You know, does it feel like that?
1: Yeah, mate. Look, it's 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 a big responsibility, but. Um... It's a fun role to be in as well. Like, I feel like, you know, my fingertips are on a lot of those guys' futures to an extent. And it's a way, um, obviously, you want to teach them good habits and how to move well and efficiently. Um, And then also probably inspire them in a way to make them enjoy the process of training and, you know, teaching them, educating them how to get to the next level. And it's not always going to be about physical it could be more lifestyle and holistic sort of approach of sleep education nutrition hydration recovery modalities like things like that that uh, i guess fall under the umbrella of a performance coach these days which a lot of people probably don't realize um you know they probably think it's all just about lifting weights in the gym and you know how much size have you put on a kid when the reality is that that's only one sort of element of the of a footy player, you know, they've got the technical, the tactical, um, focuses. The like I said, the lifestyle is a lot that goes into developing a, a footy player these days.
2: Um, with
1: the way that the games become more professional, and the money that's getting thrown around as well, the expectations higher. Mm. Um, so that when these kids do progress into an RL system, whether it be at the Knights or somewhere else, like. The expectation is there for those kids to have all that information and understand it and live and breathe uh, being a full-time professional so yeah like it's a big it's a big job uh, but it's something that still excites me and um you form uh relationships with a lot of these kids that um, you know like even say five six seven years ago like when when i had like the first sort of team that I was responsible for like kids from that under-18s team like I still talk to this day um, that have, you know, some have gone on to play NRL and others haven't but um, you know, you're sort of building lots and lots of relationships with lots of kids from different backgrounds so um, you know, they sort of they appreciate you more if you you know, show more of your human side and um, show them how much you care about them and want to um believe in them to get to that next level. so
2: hmm.
0: how did you get to that stage where where you you know so now you're at sort of overseeing and being more of a performance uh, coach and manager. how did you get into that position? Um, like you know what was your path? was it like you know coach or sNC or how did you move into that?
1: yeah? Um, probably goes back to when I was at uni, like I started doing uh, a bit of like gym instructing personal training while I was at uni. Um sort of that sort of coming out after that sort of crossfit phase I went through like uh, I realized that I didn't want to be a work at a mushroom farm anymore while I was <laughs> going through uni. so I thought oh, let's uh let's actually start working in the field that I want to eventually get into so I was a gym gym instructor or personal trainer for around two years while I was going through uni um and obviously was training myself and got pretty strong and um was lucky enough to get invited down to the roosters for the 2013 preseason um so i went down there and was you know in there every day you know from 6 a.m until you know when sort of was finished in the afternoon so i was doing big hours and loving it like it was an awesome environment that was just i think trent robertson's first year there at a club so there's lots of changes going on at the time i think they they were pretty close to getting the wooden screen the year before so new coach fresh environment um, you know i was young and keen and enthusiastic um Oh, man. So Keegan uh, Smith invited me down to come out and help him out in the preseason and did the entire pre season with him and then uh, once sort of the in season phase came along I went back to Union to finish off my degree and then uh, from there the following year I basically moved down to Sydney. Um, you know, to take up that sort of S G ball role with the with the Roosters team and then again just continue on like an internship style where I was still you know, full-time in a sense, working with the NRL boys, but obviously wasn't getting any kind of financial assistance with that. It was, you know, pretty much just move down to Sydney and do your best and hope that it worked out and um, it did in the end, which was good, um, but I was probably lucky in a sense as well. that We had a lot of good athletes and staff and coaches that, um, you know, demanded success and, um, you know, that, that season, 2013 season, with uh, the NRL ended up winning the premiership and, um, following you with the SG Ball team, which I was responsible for when we won the competition. So I mean, I think those factors obviously help that when you're winning, you know, regardless if you did a good job or not, like it's probably going to be um, more favourable for you in your in your circumstance. So yeah. I was yeah. lucky in a sense there that we had a few, th- I had a few things might go my way, and that sort of I guess um, pushed me up the, um, you know, pushed me up into a, a higher role. And um, from there it was just yeah. That was, I guess, that was the start of the journey, and I've just been on it ever since. So, in
0: 2014, 15, were you S and C at the Roosters?
1: Yeah. So 20, so 2014, I was the SG ball S and C, um, and then just helped out with the role day to day. And then 2015, I think I was that was the first year I became full time and um, started overseeing all the under twenties S and C. Like I was responsible for that, and then also it was just a like a, an assistant. Um, with the the NRL S&C assistant so yeah so well mate I've worked under some pretty phenomenal coaches in my time I think I've been pretty blessed and lucky um, to be learning from some of the some of the best in the industry so I've tried to take out as much as I can from them and
2: um
1: apply it in my own sort of way my coaching style I guess and um, it's been going okay so far it looked
0: pretty good mate obviously we've we sort of met probably early 2015 like just through the traps not knowing each other but um obviously i followed some of that journey through through the socials and stuff like that the culture that you're a part of also looked very inviting um you know from the outside in guys like myself and guys who are in that crossfit sphere or, or weightlifting or just have an innate ability to to find good communities and spend time around motivating people. Going back to some of those videos in your earlier days when you were with them, of you lifting, of the team camaraderie like around those under 20s and stuff like that, it looked like a really good culture even back then. I think that there's got to be some sort of correlation with that sort of success and what you guys were seeing in the gym room as well as out in the field and stuff.
1: Oh man, 100%. Now that's that's probably part of something that I've tried to instill a lot in the, the athletes that I've coached is um, you know like enjoying that process or buying into the buying into the physical stuff you know like if you're not going to enjoy it or um you know buy into it you're going to have a hard time living and breathing it as a professional athlete you know for hopefully 10 or 15 years so um, not everyone's going to be strong and powerful in the gym or fit and fast on the field but um you've got to value it um you've got to enjoy it so i guess that was Something that I've tried to instill in a lot of the the sessions that I've run is, you know, obviously let the boys have fun, let them express themselves um, in a safe way. Um, Obviously we push the envelope at times, but uh, I think it's part and parcel of being a coach. Like it's not just the the sets and reps, it's the human interaction, it's the
2: um,
1: understanding different personalities in your team and how to get the best out of them.
2: Um,
1: And that's, you know, it's all those softer Softer skills at times that um, can be undervalued. I mean, there's lots of research and literature and readings and stuff that you can read about the you know, perfect periodization models and different things like that. But at the end of the day, like, it's all pretty similar. Uh, most teams are doing similar things. So it's understanding how you get that, that last sort of, you know, cliche 1%. Performance game out of them, and a lot of the time it's going to be psychological motivation.
2: Um, you know, that's that's a that's a big side of it. So, getting the getting the vibe
1: on in the gym, using music and, and things like that, and um, getting the boys excited and loud at times, like it all it all helps. Um, you know, they're going to be bigger, fitter, faster, stronger as a result of it, then. I think that's, that's that's only got to be a good thing,
0: it? Yeah, and it's it's <laughs> it's um interesting that the intangibles these days, the things that you can't measure, like those things you're talking about, are the majors that have changed in the last sort of ten years in the S and C world. Like the the tangibles, like you said, the the back squat, the front squat, the clean. You know, yeah. There's been an induction of you know power specific coaches and weightlifting coaches and specialists coming in. But if you look at the teams who are creating the most success, you know the Melbournes, the Roosters, the guys like that. It's everybody talks about culture, and culture has a, yeah. is represented in a bunch of intangibles: attitude, commitment to each other, teamwork, camaraderie, and these things are very very hard to measure on a pen and paper. You know, um, so I think it's really cool that that's where your focus is and that's where you sort of. Uh, were the things that you sort of feel that are most important that you've you, you've learned from other people are those intangible things you haven't mentioned reps and sets you haven't gone through positions and movement and um, that's that's a really cool thing because I think that that's the modern that's the modern game whether it's you're a discus thrower or you're a footballer you know we're talking specifically because you work with NRL but you know the S and C world is very similar across a lot of power sports um, and these intangibles are something that. very very hard to measure and hard to get your you know let's say you're going for a performance review as a coach they very rarely talk about that stuff so it's it's cool but I think I can't wait to see when in 10 years from now how those are almost measured um because we measure so much these days people wear heart rate monitors for training they wear you know trackers the whole time you've got exercise science monitoring training and rest and recovery you got average mums and dads wearing root bands you know to check their sleep and um it's going to be a way in, in the in the future in 30 years from now where they check these intangibles and i just i'm excited to see what those are and how we how we enhance that performance in, in between the years
1: yeah 100 percent mate it's uh it's a big area and it's it's only growing um you know a lot of those psych psychosocial factors and um you know it's, it's probably more prevalent with the, the younger kids as well. Like, the, you got kids coming from, you know, you might have had a kid on a shovel since 6 a.m. that morning, turning up to train at 3, 3 p.m. and you're trying to get him to lift weights, like, when his motivation
2: um,
1: is low, you know, and you've had kids that, you know, have been at uni all day or whatever it is, like, there's lots of different factors that um, come into, like, those those pathway athletes and, you um, you, know, you don't have your you don't have complete control over those those younger guys like you do with the with the older senior sort of NRL players so it can be a little bit more challenging that way um but it's just yeah it's learning how to adapt I think that's probably one of the biggest traits that I feel young coaches working in this space need to possess is that adaptability and being able to make decisions on the run and um Nothing's ever going to be optimal in this space Like with this, with these, this demographic that I work in So it's sort of learning how to maximise the benefit Or protect against the downside as much as you can um, Compared to say that NRL space I guess you'd say
2: hmm.
0: Oh yeah, much trickier space um, Much more, like you said like it's not When you're in the NRL, it's a professional job there's, there's also an expectation When you've got to keep driving two hours To come to training after working all day you know, it's a totally different ball game. The expectation that he has of you and you have of him. You know, he's kind of looking at you to help him and protect him and make sure he survives the session. You know, if you've been sitting in a couple of yeah. two hours and you put him out for a for a MAS sprint session, you know, you're you kind of playing with a bit of fire. But you know, that's not what your expectation yeah. is of an NRL player. Um, yeah, 100. What's some talking about tangibles though? In terms of the, the the junior space, is there certain things that if you're a parent listening to this that your kids should be doing you know like obviously you know personal experiences the more the better in terms of variance i think that variability is just so crucial not just because of the space i'm in but just uh you know for the future of the of the human being of the athlete but is there movement patterns or is there any tangibles or measurables that you think all juniors should be doing like if they're 15 16 coming through the ranks there's just patterns they should be hitting
1: I mean, there's obviously all the, the, known things like, you know, just learning basic movement patterns in, in multiple different planes, like squatting, you know, pushing, pulling, lunging, throwing, jumping, all those things like you don't, you know, there's a, there's a change in sort of that, that thought process of specialization um, these days, especially around team sport athletes. That so, um, It's almost better for them to be exposed, like you say, to multiple different sports growing up. Um, I would say probably the the biggest things, you know, the things that aren't going to sell. They're not sexy. It's the you know just being consistent with you know turning up, just just turn up and listen to the coaches and you know, buy into what they're saying. So it's you know having a good uh, you know being exposed, I guess, to a decent sort of training program or having a, a decent mentor or coach helping you along the way and looking out for your long term benefit rather than. The short-term gain of you know what you need to do right here and now to um, win this competition in an under-14s grand final, or whatever it is, like it's you got to have that long-term approach. Um, you know, how is this what we're doing today going to help me three or four years down the track? Um, but I think it's it's that stuff and then it's it's all the other stuff as well which kids struggle with these days with all the distractions. In my opinion, it's the it's the sleep like getting getting decent sleep so that kids can recover and they can retain information and their bodies can heal. Like That's, for me, that's the main thing. That's the underpinning of all health is sleep, you know, hydration, nutrition. Those are the big three, in my opinion, in terms of young kids and the things that they've got the biggest work on. Is, you know, are you sleeping consistently for eight hours, you know, six, seven days a
2: week?
1: Um, Are you hydrating? you know, before you train in the afternoon or, you know, are you, are you drinking water when you get up in the morning?
2: Um, are you eating breakfast,
1: you know, before you go to school so you can learn and retain information better? Like, you're not getting that down right to start with and everything else, you, you know, put on your body is just going to be an added stressor and you're going to be under-recovered and, and you know, guarantee that you're probably going to be injured too in the short term
0: and generally those kids like from like personal experiences that they already do the movement they're already fucking playing football touch union they're already playing three different sports they're already in terms of like you know a lot of people say sort of like movement and sleep and food it's like they already move like these kids who want to play football in 15 years they they want to be the next billy slater they're they're playing footy like they're doing enough footy it's those, things that yeah. you're ta- it's those things that you're talking about, you know, like staying on their phone playing computer games till 2 a.m. at 15 years old mm. is probably doing severe damage to their performance, you know, uh, compared to, say, have, missing a day of footy or missing a week of footy.
1: Yeah. And then I think, like, the, the higher up you go, so the older that you get as well, like, there's probably a, a lot more pressure for those kids that uh, are 16, 17, 18 in their final years of school because. You know, especially the better athletes, they're, they're generally, um, you know, they're generally pretty good at most sports. Really, like they, they could be a, a good swimmer, a good rugby league athlete, a good track and field player. Um, you know, whatever it is, there's probably that pressure for them to do everything all the time. I would say that's probably another thing that um, parents and then even young kids need to be aware of. Like, you can't do everything all the time. Like, there is a cost to that. Mm. Um, so it's not. Not saying specialize in one thing, but it's understand what's important to you, um, and you can't please everyone all the time with that kind of stuff. So, you know, if you've got a future in the game, if you've signed a contract with a club at, you know, 18, like you've got to think, okay, well, long term, you know, what's what's the best thing for me to be doing here? Am I yeah. am I going to be trying to do, you know, six or seven different training sessions across a week? Um, you know, you, you just can't do it all, and you can't expect young kids to be—it's mm. probably more that resilient, resilient or robust to be able to handle those stresses, as well as everything else, like with the, the school and learning, and obviously everything that's going on with um, young men or women at that age. Like, it's there's a lot of stresses in their life at that time. So, um, yes, it's important to have variation in exposing kids to different games and, and movements, and sports, but. A lot, it's probably something that i see um with the young kids that are, you know coming to the club from different areas is you know they're trying to do too much mm. of that as well so it's you know understanding how much is enough and how much is too much and prioritizing what's important um yeah. because as i say you can't do everything all the time and you know eventually you're going to have to have some tough conversations with you know, if you're playing club footy and then you're playing you're playing club footy on a Friday night and playing rep footy on a Saturday and then playing rugby union on a Sunday like it's not probably going to work out.
0: Yeah, for you. Like, I definitely, just, I definitely think that's more common like nowadays than definitely when when I was younger and stuff like that. Like if you were playing state, like if you were made state schoolboys for soccer union or league, generally you would kind of steer towards that. But even some of the kids I'm training now, they're playing rep basketball reps rep football and then rep rep touch because there's a few codes of touch going around too i think during adolescence like you know if it's really cool as many movement patterns as possible and then like you said as they sort of especially if you signed a contract you know at 17 um 16 17 you got you just got to have a risk reward conversation around around that um yep. for those kids whether you're a parent or or a coach or a parent to coach or you know vice versa and you're not trying to steal away their their opportunity you're actually trying to help them and i think that that's definitely an area that needs to be to be looked at for those yeah and that's that's the
1: thing mate a lot of those you know if if you've if you're involved in four different teams or sports or whatever it is like each of those coaches are working in a silo like they're not they're not thinking about all those other things that that kid is doing so like they're only thinking about that that moment and that time and that you know, that afternoon or that evening or that morning session or whatever it is, like, they're not thinking that, you know, little little Johnny is going to go and, you know, he's going to go lift weights this afternoon and then he's going to play basketball and in the morning he's going to get up and go to swimming training or whatever it is. Like, there's – it's got to be something that, um, you know, it's, it's something that's unsaid and it's, it's just something that I'm seeing a little bit more prevalent with these, especially these more elite kids coming through is they generally – they generally excel in a lot of different sports because they they have those underlying athletic traits. So it's yeah, it's, that's the, that's the challenge for me in my role. It's having a like having those tough conversations with those kids, and not like you say stealing those opportunities away from them, but trying to narrow their focus a little bit more. Um, the higher they the higher levels they get to, and understand that um, like I said, you can't please everyone all the time. And, it will come to a point where you do have to make a decision around like what you what do you want to do or you know how you want to move forward with with the sport that you're playing.
0: With that um, role, with I guess with the role that you're currently in, do you get opportunities to get those highlights that we spoke about personally for your athletic? Do you get those as a coach? You know, with this role, or was it is it less? Um, fulfilling in those moments of, say, grand final wins and stuff like that, compared to your time at the Roosters with the s and being hands-on with only one team, or how are you getting the kicks now, how are you getting the positives now? Um, I think a lot of it's just, mate, like, I think
1: this space that I work in, like, the physical development and the kids, you know, it's it's almost rapid in a way, like, they, they look at a dumbbell rack or they pick up a, an Olympic barbell and you know they pretty much get stronger straight away so it's rewarding seeing kids grow um and they get that confidence from you know breaking records in the gym or you know seeing how that translates in their performance on the field um so i mean that's obviously one rewarding part of the job the other i mean there's there's lots of different sides of the you know the role that i'm in that is rewarding as well like even as simple as someone coming back from an injury and getting through their first game back and then, you know, seeing the relief and um, ecstasy on their face at the end of the game knowing that, you know, they've they've come back and they've, they've over, you know, overcome that hurdle that has been in front of them for, you know, whether it be a short-term or long-term injury, like it could be a four-week injury or it could be a nine-month, 12-month ACL, like just those little moments are special as well as um, obviously just seeing kids made like over the years more like a longitudinal thing where... You know, you see kids progress from Harold Mats or S.G. Ball, which is under 16s and 18s, and then, you know, eventually get their first-grade first, first grade debut. Like, it's that's a special moment as well, and it should be celebrated. Um, you know, obviously the kid's excited as well, but even everyone that's had their fingertips on them as well, like, they feel that reward of being a part of that, that person's journey to get to that level, and um, I guess those moments are they're special as well. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like, just just every day, I mean, the, the boys and girls that I work with at the moment, like, they're always different personalities and they're always, you know, they're bringing energy and, um, you know, there's weird conversations that you have every day about stuff that they're going through at school or relationships or, or whatever it is. Like, for me, like, I'm sort of the coalface a lot of the times. So like, I'm seeing them in the gym, I'm seeing them on the field, like... S&C coaches or performance coaches generally in rugby league probably spend the most time with the athletes or kids or whoever it is that they're working with the most. You know, like the, the head coaches are obviously having a lot of other things they need to deal with. Um, you know, they've got media commitments and all that kind of stuff, which makes the, the job a lot bigger than, um, you know, just a standard footy coach. But um, performance coaches, have you know, they're... They're dealing with the, the athletes the most, in my opinion. They're the ones in the gym in the morning doing the prep work with them. They're the ones in the gym, you know, helping them with the weights. They're the ones on the field warming them up, doing speed, running, conditioning. Um, they're yeah. the ones doing recovery. You know, they're spending a lot of time with these, these athletes or kids. Um, so you sort of, like I was saying before, mate, you form special relationships with these, these people. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's rewarding in itself.
0: You build such a rapport. I mean, they're such a they're at such a you know, it's, it's it's probably not the right word, but fragile, just because of the amount of emotional changes they're having and hormonal changes. You know, they're they're influential. They're, they're they're sort of in a in a peak of their physical growth, so they're you know really heightened in in awareness. And when you're giving them you know cues and things like that, they really want to impress and do well. It's a pretty it's a pretty special place that that age group that you that you're working with.
1: Yeah, man, hundred percent. It's definitely rewarding. Definitely a rewarding age. Um, and like I said before, man, just seeing those kids progress over the years, like that's you know that's that's something special. And seeing them grow into young men and women, um, you know, that's that's what it's all about, in my opinion. Do you have um? Do you
0: have, you know, a standout moment that as an S and C was kind of one of those moments where you're like, oh yeah, we've this is this is some pretty special bit of a goosebump moment, like uh, like you mentioned, sort of coming back from your injury. Um, is there some of those teams or some teams that you've been a part of that you've you know you won a season or anything that's felt pretty special?
1: Um, I mean, to I was a part of two like junior grand final wins at the Roosters, like that Ball Grand Final in twenty fourteen was was very special. Um, we had some pretty good kids come through in that team you know the likes of you know your mate connor watson and, uh the mitchell joey Manu, um paul momoroski is the panthers now um you know there's there was a lot of kids a lot of kids a lot of them have, i think there was something like seven or eight of them from one team at that age of gone on the plan or else somewhere so i mean that was special and the way that we won that grand final as well coming back um, And you know, stealing it in Golden Point, Latrell sort of running over the top of a couple of oaks and scoring under the post to win that grand final. That was that was definitely a special moment, Um, especially for me at the time as well. It was sort of the first team that I'd solely been responsible for. Um, The other one in 2016 was two years later, with sort of the same group of boys, being down the 20s, and um, same sort of fashion. We come from behind. I think we were down like 24 nil or 24 six at half time, and had a massive half-time spray from the coach And the boys come back And I think they won 30 points to 24 or something in the end um, Which was it was almost like an unwinnable game And somehow the boys come back and won um, And yeah, like I said There's a similar boys in that team um, That have all sort of gone on And gone to higher honours um, But even just, yeah, like I said, mate Probably the other ones are just Kids coming back from long-term injuries And see them do well and perform And get that belief back in, in to them as well, like they sort of go through the different uh, peaks and valleys of, of being a, a semi professional or professional athlete, and you know the agony and ecstasy that comes along with it in terms of the the injury injuries they sustain and the setbacks and um, those moments of you know depression, like not knowing like whether they're actually going to get back to that that level they were at before. And um, one thing that I've tried to use like use those opportunities with kids with those long-term injuries i just try and tell them it's an opportunity to get better like it's so it's an easy sell when you can tell them like let's let's change your focus if it's a kid that's had an acl injury it might be let's see if we can you know let's see if we can set a bench press record like let's see where we can get your bench press in six months time or let's um you know something as simple as that or like it's just setting small goals or small targets to see them through the journey and the process and um, help them play, I guess.
0: And what about for yourself in terms of those um, learning, that learning environment? I mean, who have you, you know, who have you enjoyed working with and learning from? Obviously, you mentioned Keegs. He's was, he was kind of in our world as well in the CrossFit space. I mean, um, you know, is there some guys that you sort of look look to to, to learn from and or just even just enjoy you know their 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 style and their format because um, each coach I think is, is is more about the style and delivery than than necessarily the nuts and bolts.
1: It's been nice, mate. Like I mean, there's obviously those more notable guys like Keegs and um, Paddy Lane at the Roosters. And, you know, me and him worked together for a long time there. Um, we've both sort of grown as coaches along the years. Um, Trav, too, head of performance there. He's been had a performance there for a while and. Um, you know, guys like Hayden Knowles who's now at Penrith having great success, Scotty Campbell. Um, you know, they're all really notable guys. Um, and then even even more recently now, after the Knights, like there's some, some pretty experienced guys up here as well. But it's it's um I try and take something from everyone if I can. Um everyone's got different strengths and weaknesses. Um, even like the junior coaches that I have in my team work with me like I'm. I mean, I'll learn as much from them as they learn from me. Like they, they the ideas that they have around you know it could be as simple as like a warm-up format or like you know delivery or a cue in the gym or something that you know I hadn't heard or seen before and it just clicked with an athlete. Like there's moments like that most days, mate, where you just sort of you're always learning and you're always trying to get better. Um, so that's sort of something that I've tried to. Um, you know, have a focus on is trying to learn from from everyone if I can. Like I'm, you know, I'm definitely not an expert. Um, the stuff that I'm good at and the stuff that I need to get better at as well as a coach. Um, and I guess just understanding your strengths and weaknesses and um, um, yeah, like trying to learn and, and grow and um, yeah, there's there's definitely stuff there that um, a lot of these junior coaches are bringing that um, I think. Gets lost or forgotten as you get older and you've been in the role for a long time and it's sort of the monotony of it all sets in It's that sort of youth and, and enthusiasm and um, You know just having a different thought process or mindset around how to Deliver one part of content on, on the field or in the gym or whatever it is. So um, Yeah, yeah It's, um, yeah, it's so, interesting
0: system to be a part yeah. of like when you go up there and you, you spend some obviously because there's, there's so many variances of coaches um, but when you go into say like that setting and you head to head with a, you know you're kind of working head to head with a football coach, um, and it's it's amazing what you learn off someone who has very little to do with your field. Um, obviously, up there last year, it was it was just interesting how much you can learn off off people who aren't even in your field but they're coaching. And it's just like you said, the cues, the 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 way they sort of interact with the kids, it's it's really, it's a really eye-opening experience to spend so much time with so many different coaches because you've got obviously yourself who's overseeing guys like myself and other guys and junior coaches, and then you've got someone above you who might come down. Then you've also got the other side, which is the footy coaches, and then they've got two or three coaches with them alongside a bunch of physios who are behind you, and then um, you know even just trainers who run out and strapping people. You're like, oh, you know. I I didn't strap that way it's just it's actually quite it's actually quite phenomenal how much you can learn in a in a nine week period or you know 24 week period or a full year it's just um, it is it is quite mind blowing I think it's definitely something that a lot of people should if they can expose themselves to is going into that semi-professional to professional team environment because the amount of different coaches to use the word coach or mentors or it's just it's it's exponential growth in a very short period of time
1: yeah yeah definitely mate yeah it's it's you're one part of a multidisciplinary team basically aren't you you're like you're you know you're all all encompassing and you have your role that is is on your shoulders but yeah like bigger picture stuff like you're all working together for that um, for that result or that growth or development or whatever it is
0: yeah and yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed working with Joel. Like I, I learned, you know, he's a school teacher, so he's obviously got a certain way with kids that I don't have, um, and his analogies and the way he deliver, like his delivery, it was, I fucking loved it. It was probably it was probably the best experience I've had alongside another coach, and it wasn't an SNC coach, so it was real. Um, for me, it was a real opening experience, and it taught me heaps. and I still speak to him now, and I thought it was just something that I couldn't imagine not having done, um, and, and would look forward to in. in Probably other avenues as well you know working with a couple of, a couple of uh, throwers at the moment and, and you know female footballers and you, you really do learn a lot more from just other fields who deal with mentoring and, and you know dictating growth for certain pathways it's re- it's really insightful i think that most s and c's we listen to podcasts based on s c we listen to we read papers or we look at you know power you know strength and power continuums and we we follow Guys like Dan Baker, and we we really go down our own rabbit hole, like you said, this silo approach to what we do. But like we ask of the athletes to expose themselves to as many planes and 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 facets of fitness as possible, I think that we have to do the same thing. And and really, there's so much room to learn from those people.
1: Hundred percent, mate. Couldn't agree. Like you need to, if you're going to go down this rabbit hole of coaching, like you need definitely need to have that growth mindset in terms of being willing to learn from every opportunity that you have and. Um, like you said, it could be reading research papers or it could just be spending time with a, a sports trainer on the side of the field and learning the best way to strap an ankle or, you know, tape a knee or, or whatever it is, strap a wrist. Um, there's always moments of growth that happen in this environment, um, and I guess it's just a, at times it gets lost, but it's it's about, you know, using those opportunities embracing it as much as you can.
0: Go touching on something you've mentioned a few times today and I've obviously wanted to chat about um, being in this space and watching football at the moment the injury thing uh, you sort of mentioned that a lot of your time with the young boys is is sort of you know realign their focus there's a hell of a lot of injuries with any sport and stuff like that and we do spend a lot of our time there I'm here right now with the trapezium uh, weightlifting injury and you know my wife's got a an the, the issue happening that we're working on. But currently, there's a pretty um, big focus around HIA and knockouts in, in the NRL, um, as well as other things. Obviously, last year with COVID, we, we stopped the players from playing contact for, you know, five, four or five months and then throw them on the field. And uh, um, there was some pretty major, major lists weekly of injuries what's your take at the moment on the on the rule changes and the effect they're having on the game um, in the current in the current environment
1: yeah so I guess like I mean everyone that sort of follows rugby leagues probably been aware of it to an extent um, obviously the, the increase in injury toll um, but also like you say like the, the changes in rules um, you know more recently in probably the last 12 months or so yeah um, you know with the with the idea i think was to you know reducing the change or bring more fatigue into the game to you know allow the smaller guy to excel like they used to you know from you know, 15 20 years ago um you know more recently like the body shapes and sizes of players as the game's got more professional like they're always getting bigger faster and stronger and the contacts and collisions are you know they're only increasing in in magnitude so I think with that like i think with the more professional the game gets like the the contact side of things like it's going to be um you know you use the analogy of a a car like if you're driving a a prius compared to ferrari like the the collision you you have a crash like you you know which one's going to come off um better you know so obviously there's faster and Stronger guys um, You know In my opinion the, You know the, the chance of injury there Is probably greater In terms of um, With the contact side of things And then Obviously with the, the way the game's going With the Trying to induce more fatigue Into the game So more tired bodies um, Which impacts Decision making Skill acquisition All those kind of things Timings tend to Go out of the window as well them. Like if you Talking about concussions and that kind of thing Like, you know, this, the split second Of deciding which side of the Side of the body to put your head If you get that wrong, like it's You know, it's, it's catastrophic Like it, you know, more often ends in a HIA Or, you know, a head injury assessment Which, you know, they go off the field for For a concussion test, basically um, So I think it's sort of To follow, like obviously the The rule changes um, With, you know, the way they're trying to induce more fatigue There's more um, more ball in play time, as we say, so that the time where the, the players are actually playing on the field, even though the, the length of the game hasn't necessarily increased, but the stoppages have been um, removed to an extent. So, you know, we're not seeing like with the introduction of the the six again rule. So we're cutting out a lot of scrums, we're cutting, um, you know, guys doing line dropouts. They've got a time in terms of how how. You know, they have 30 seconds to to restart the game; otherwise, it's a penalty. Um, so things like that, I think, are obviously good from a, a viewers' perspective. But there's more more ball in play, so the viewers getting to see more footy and less stoppages. But I think, uh, obviously, you know, with COVID and everything that's happened in terms of time off and always not having that same contact load that they would have had if there was no stoppage in the game, I think all those things contribute to that overall injury toll um as well as the rule changes and and then obviously all the physical side of things as well like we're, we're obviously trying to get that extra one percent in the gym on the field in speed all those things um to an extent are going to contribute to the to the risk of, of injury i like to think that you could prevent every injury and there's a reason for every injury but i feel like at times like sometimes it's just you know, it just happens. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a complicated issue. Um, you think There's obviously measures that we try and put in place to try and protect and prevent injury as much as we can, whether it be the stuff that we are doing in the gym. But I think at the end of the day, whenever you're going to be playing a contact sport, there's always going to be that underlying risk that, you know, something can and probably will go wrong at some point in time. It's It's pretty rare that you'll meet a a seasoned NRL player that has got through their career without any kind of serious injury. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. Guess, I guess there's, like, there's obviously... I think there's probably a couple of things happening. W- one is that the rule changes are made instantaneously and then the bodies and boys are supposed to adapt. You know, it's not an evolution of the sport. It's just like, OK, six again rules in this year, the year before you know you don't have that so the ability to adapt to that might take say five to five years right like to because it's like you said the sports changed. so 15 years ago some guys 20 years ago the front rowers might have been like running behind bins on the weekend doing bin runs now you've got these full-time professional athletes who are power cleaning and doing ice baths. So you had this ad- adoption and this constant growth with the sport where people became more professional. They're taking training load at training, so they're, they're getting contact time at training because people understand that to build resilience you need to be able to do that stuff in practice. Um, but I think that like it feels, and I, and I sense that there's some, there's some heat around the issue outside of the sport. I mean, if you read the paper every single weekend at the moment, it's a lot about HIA, there's a lot about... The injuries, and I think that it's it's a hard one for us to expect the players to adapt to such rapid changes in the game, um, and especially as S&C coaches or physios, whose job it is to prepare those athletes for those things. You're seeing rapid change in the speed of the game, run meters um, from certain from certain players or a certain um, type of athlete, and you're trying to then try to then how do you then uh i guess express or explain to the public that that's what's happening you know you're seeing it's not just like you said it's a very complex issue um it's not just that it's the the changes there the changes in two years from now might make no difference because the player's size speed style of athlete who plays the game may adapt to follow that new style um like you said it's a much faster game you see in scrums maybe once every you know two two and a half or something like that um so I think that there's there's that side of things where the game is at the fingertips of how do we get more viewers? We need more money. So we need to make sure that that's taken care of because without that, there's no players, there's no media coverage. Um, but then it's like, well, we've also got to give the players time to adapt to this new style um, of playing under fatigue or do we, do we add another change to match that where we have a faster game where we have five interchange in the first half and five interchange in the second half. Um, you know... And then there's also the issue of the safety of the players. I um, don't think anyone like would argue that with contact sport, NFL, you know, rugby union, that uh, it's not. I think everyone understands there's a risk reward when you when you sign up for that. But just that rapid increase in the last couple of years, I think, is is sort of bringing to light a lot of things. Obviously, the HIA and the the issue with the 18th man this year has been brought to light, and then Gussie commenting on it last week, which caused a huge issue um it's definitely being brought into the public's eye a lot more that's all
1: yeah yeah i couldn't agree more a lot, a, lot of, a lot of the times as well like you think back to covid last year like when the players resumed training like like you said they had I think it was like a four-week build-up before they yeah got back into playing games after you know being away for six weeks and you know trying to do their best with stationary bikes and you know olympic barbell and 20 kilos of plates you know like it's it's a hard one. And then even, even this year to an extent, like they they brought in new rule changes, but it was, you know, it might've been February or January before they sort of announced those changes to the team. So it just doesn't, doesn't give, um, the athletes and, and coaches much time to prepare for those rule changes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it's, it's a, it's a multifaceted issue. There's lots of contributing factors, um, yeah, I think, I think it's uh, it's probably going to increase. Well, we're not going to increase, but it'll be consistent throughout the year that we'll continue to see these type of injuries and concussions and things like that. But do you it think, is what it is, I think, at the end of the day.
0: Do you think that the HIA um, assessments and, and things are going to be more they're not. They're not going to be going away, are they? They're going to be more prevalent. Like people are going to continue to, as we get more data on this. You're um, not going to see this removed.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously that you know you've got to try and protect your your athletes as, as much as you can, and um, that's you know that's one thing. Yeah, we're trying to to trying to introduce is that you know player welfare is of utmost importance, um, and I think the more. Conservative the rules become on that. Like, there's obviously going to be more and more instances where guys are going off the field getting checked. Um, and, you know, that media pressure is is loud, and the voices outside the game are loud at the moment around it as well, in terms of are we doing enough? And we don't exactly know the long term effects or outcomes of, of these collisions and, uh, you know, concussions that the players are sustaining. These days. Um, so it's sort of, I guess it's that we're in that period where we're trying to be proactive, um, but I guess we don't know whether that's the rules and the measures that were put in place are enough or whether we need to be more aggressive with our approach um, to that. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's one of those things that um, science will, you know, tell us and. 10, 15, 20 years' time, but everyone's essentially just guessing at the moment.
0: Mm. And it's a, that's you know, part of the role of, of, you know, obviously guys like yourself working with juniors, guys out there who are working with juniors, even just at your local level. You know, if you're playing them a certain way from, say, you know, 11 to 13, another way from 13 to 15, and you get into an NRL, it's like, you know, the game speed is, is, again, faster. Um, it'd be nice to see some of that... Uh, consistency in terms of how the game's played uh, so that we can prepare them as best as possible Uh, because if you get you know let's say you have someone like 6'3 and 130 kilos in 10 years you know you're not I'm not sure if you're going to see a lot of those body types if the game's going to continue to speed up um, it's it's kind of like give us give us a consistent dialogue of what we're going to what we're going to deliver to these kids so that we can best prepare them to avoid those types of things, you know, if we can match if we can match what we're gonna see at that level, like you said, getting the getting the rules in February or getting the room in a couple of weeks out for the guys who are already in there, then we sustain 10 injuries, we pull guys up from a from a division who aren't playing in that same style. You're gonna see increase in in instances. So it you know to make it look better from all aspects, the best case is to is to deliver a nice consistent message that we can get the young the young guys ready for and develop them in a way that we think they're going to be playing the game.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think like on top of that as well, Like there's, there's underlying principles that, of things that you can apply to, I guess, protect yourself or you know, potentially um, protect against the downside of concussion. And, you know, the common things that we're seeing now is, you know, the introduction of, you know, a lot more neck, Um, upper trap sort of strengthening work Um, you know I think tackle tech uh, like the wrestle sort of side of things but more so probably the tackle tech and collisions and having like a clear progression in terms of how we expose players to you know teach them how to tackle and and play the game and um, put themselves in safe positions um, as well as obviously just a, a good level, base level of conditioning and um, you know, aerobic sort of energy system development, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, if you're fitter and you can um, withstand the demands of the game better, then you know potentially you can make better decisions. And fatigue probably doesn't play as big a part in, in the game.
0: Yeah, exactly what I was trying. To, yeah, exactly what I was trying to get to. Like we can we can do our best. We can do better if we if, if the if the demands are clearer. We can prepare for those demands well. You know yeah um, and as those changes come in if we get enough notice and we can we can like you said if you've got someone a, a tackle tech work you know half an hour of tackle tech with a with a 15 year old team and some upper trap development and stuff like that you you're starting to really help and mitigate some of that stuff coming up rather than seeing you know sort of like a 78 kilo guy dropped into the NRL where the six again is there and the 40 20s are there and the 20 40s are there and you, you you're getting battered side to side you've got Dave for to running at yeah it's um it's a pretty it's a pretty scary place to be um and if if that's our role is to is to help those kids then the more information more awareness and and the more growth we can give them around that space would be good 100 who are you watching at the moment mate Who's uh, got any plays you you're watching at the moment at the in the NRL? just in general like not with the knights but just it's pretty pretty crazy for you at the moment the score lines are crazy the the speeds are un- unbelievable
1: mm. I mean like from like a personal perspective like if i'm not talking about our boys um i mean the two guys that are probably uh, exciting me the most recently is probably uh, ryan pappenhausen i mean obviously he's, he's injured at the moment but the way that he's sort of come onto the scene in the last two years like the footy he's playing once billy slater sort of left that melbourne storm team like he's a He's an exciting guy to watch, and he's got a bit of um, presence and, you know, charm and charisma and, you know, personality, um, you know, weird haircuts and, and, and all that. Like, he's a he's an exciting player. And then um, probably the other one this year that, you know, he's probably got a bit of media attention as well more recently is um, young Sammy Walker at the Roosters. Like, he's, the emergence of him into that sort of team with – um, you know the, the injuries that they're going through as well, and um, him sort of being a you know a smaller sort of halfback and obviously young, and um, he's sort of been brought through good systems as a junior. Um, he actually went to the same school that I went to in, in Queensland. Ipswich grammar, so he played a lot of rugby. Um, and obviously his dad and his uncle, um, you know, famous through their work with the Ipswich jets and footy and everything like that. So. Um, yeah, obviously them two. They're probably the ones that are exciting me on a personal level. Without sort of talking about our guys, like there's a lot of guys that I, we have in our system as well. Like whether they're playing NRL as well or not, um, you know, they're sort of you know exciting to work with and um, you know on a daily basis, I guess.
0: What's your um? What's your pick for the top two teams <laughs> this year, mate? Who do you think's gonna gonna make it up there?
1: What was that? The top two. Top two. Uh, well I mean It'd be hard to go past Penrith Like they're I don't, I don't think they've lost a the regular season game since I don't know like Started last year or something yeah, it's um, So I mean they've They've been very impressive and resilient As a team like they haven't had a lot of injuries So they've, they've kept their main players in the park For the most part um, So I mean I'd have to say Penrith And then um, Yeah but it's a, it's a flip of the coin I guess as to who else would be up there with them.
0: Um, Which is pretty crazy to say, considering Penrith five years ago, you never would have put up there.
1: No, no, exactly. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, they've had a lot of changes out there, and um, they're obviously doing a good job with the the coaching and um, development. they have got a lot of guys that have, have come through in the recent years that have, you know, been in their junior systems that have helped them, um, you know now, like a, a lot of the stuff that probably doesn't get spoken about is when you bring junior athletes through your system, you, I guess, potentially keep them at your club, yeah, for less money and, and things like that. So it makes it easier to, um, you know, get a lot of better players on the field. For you know, I guess that's that salary cap management and all that kind of like roster management side of things, is you can develop players from within, they're probably going to be. Happier to stay at your club for less money than what they would if they were to go on the open market and go to different clubs. So I think they've probably benefited from their junior development from sort of three, four years ago with a lot of their guys coming through, like the likes of Jerome and Nathan Cleary and Ryan Tyler. Um They're fun to watch. Yeah, Christian Crichton. Um, you yeah, know, they're all Dylan Edwards, they're all exciting players. So it's, uh, it's a. They've all played juniors there,
0: so looks like a full larrikin team. Looks like it would be a good a good time at training down there. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah. Cool, bro. That's about all I've got. I just wanted to touch on touch on some things, and I'm uh, pretty much watched every game since I was working with you guys down there. Now I've been uh, been converted, been converted, mate. Big uh, big Angus Crichton fan. Huge fan of the old the old forehead. He's uh, he's a bit of a beast at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's
1: a, man, he's a supreme
0: athlete. He's unbelievable to watch, mate. Mm. But uh, for Fido as well, like last week, was pretty insane. I don't think he'll be going back to the Broncos if he's uh, doing what he's doing. Mm. And then Pappy, 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 Pappy and Teddy, and now with uh, old Tommy Turbo coming back to make such a huge impact, there's some pretty... It's a star-studded fullback line-up in the NRL right now. It's pretty. It's pretty insane to watch the the fullbacks at the moment.
1: Yeah, mate. Definitely, it's something that you know. It probably hasn't change, but it's something that you know we're seeing more prevalent of these superstar fullbacks coming through. Um, you know, they've, they've all got X-factor. Like it's it's hard to get a starting fullback role in the NRL anywhere now if you're not a a superstar. A
0: freak, so. yeah, <laughs> a freak. Yeah. Alright mate, well um that's about all I got. Let's uh we'll hopefully catch up soon for a for a bit of a session. I might have to just squat and I don't know, bulgare and
1: just do your best. Work around it.
0: Thanks for your time, mate, I appreciate it and uh hopefully you guys uh get some get some luck with injuries up there at the nights. I know it's been a bit of a, a bit of a tough year this year with uh, with the NRL boys, but uh they're still holding true and it's good to see Ponga back and, and my mate Connor Watson working like a demon at the moment, so yeah, it's been good to watch, mate. Yeah.
1: yeah, they're fun to work with, mate. They're good. They're good kids.
0: <laughs> good fun. All right, mate. Thanks
2: for your time, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll catch up sooner rather than later.
1: Thanks, mate.